0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. We're continuing to read from Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We're in the 37th Anacheda in a area of the Krishna Sandarbha dealing with the, the armies, the army of the Chaturasloki, Sloki, a fourfold army, divisions of the army of the Chhatra uh, Jiva Goswami is giving uh, first fortification for this Parivas Sutra from specific uh, verses in the Srimad Bhagavatam. He'll proceed from there to go into uh, fortification of the Parivas Sutra through the Leela narrative, showing that truly throughout the Srimad Bhagavatam it is Krishna and primarily Krishna who's spoken of in the Bhagavat Purana? Uh, from there, he will elucidate uh, various passages from the Srimad Bhagavatam showing that the, in, the interpretation of those presentations can only be seen properly through the Paribas Sutra. And he'll conclude with a basic uh, syntactical fortification of verses to show that the syntax of within the verses themselves and different passages uh, is supported of the parivas Sutra. So we'll continue here with the 37th Anucheta. Here he's using verses to fortify the significance of Krishna being the swayam, bhava, uh, swayam. So Krishna is the source of the Purusha avatars. Krishna, Stu, Bhagavan, Swayam. Additionally, Sri Bhishma speaks of Bhagavan Sri Krishna's agency in regards to the Purusha avatars as well. So in throughout all these, you'll see Jivas keeps bringing out specific verses and highlighting what's being presented in those verses within the Lila narrative and showing that in all these instances, the speaker is referring to Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So now he's going to a verse spoken by Dev. Of course, he's going to pull out from that verse. The fact that Shri Krishna is basically the, well, is the basis upon which uh, the Purusha avatars, meaning those avatars that manifest the material cosmos, are empowered by Sri Krishna. Thus I have fixed my mind, which is free from all hankerings on Bhagavan Sri Krishna, the foremost of the sattvatas, who is the greatest me who is situated in his own intrinsic bliss, and who, for the sake of his cosmic play, sometimes accepts his own prakriti, from which evolves the flow of universal being. That's from the ninth chapter of the first canto. Jiva continues by quoting from Sridhar Swami. <clears throat> Swamipod's Swami comment is as follows. With the intent of praying for the supreme fruit in the form of love for Sri Krishna, Bhishma first offers up his own deeds in this verse. The greatest, Vibhumni, means that entity in reference to whom all great Bhuma vanishes, signifying that apart from him there is no greatness elsewhere. Bhishma then points out that very supreme glory with the words who is situated in his own intrinsic bliss, meaning that he is always already established in the attainment of the supreme bliss that is innate in his own being. Sometimes he accepts Prakriti for the sake of his cosmic play, Vihartum. This indicates that he does not become subservient to Prakriti, like the individual living beings, Jivas, through concealment of his intrinsic nature, Swarup. Bishma further expands on the nature of Bhagavan's acceptance of Prakriti for the sake of cosmic play, Vihartum. He plays with Prakriti in such a manner that from it evolves the flow of universal being, the unfoldment of creation, Srishti Parampara. Jīva continues, The exact same point is confirmed by the devas in their prayers to Sri Krishna, narrated in the 11th canto. The point that's being made here by Bhishma, and being carried forth through this next verse that we'll quote from the 11th canto, is that Krishna is the source of the cosmic manifestation. He is the source of the Purusha avatars, and he simply enacts the material manifestation itself as a matter of his own play. Now, Jiva Goswami himself has already provided a explanation of the nature of that play in the Paramatma Sandarbha. He spent some time in the Paramatma Sandarbha showing that truly the only reason for the material manifestation at all is to provide an opportunity for those that have some devotion towards him, but are not yet perfected to continue in their devotional practice, sadhana sadhana bhakti, so that they can attain perfection. Of course, that's totally a Vaishnav viewpoint. Uh, and, and a, a very uh, secretive one at that. Not many uh, world philosophers could come to the conclusion that the whole material manifestation is, is coming about simply so that the Supreme Lord can give further facility to his devotees to perfect their love for him. Others look at the creation and come up with thousands of other theories as to why it's here, where it came from, who made it, what it's made of. Uh, I mean, we, we we would never come to an end of discussing all the different uh, viewpoints of all the different philosophers as to the material manifestation. Uh, but Jiva's is, is extremely... Uh, profound in its presentation and uh, his conclusion that truly it's, it's it's not even so that the jivas can continue to receive the results of their fruitive activities. Now, even you go to the highest level of, of the Veda, primarily, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the Vedas themselves primarily deal with the three modes of material nature. Krishna's talking to Arjuna and saying, yeah, the Vedas, this this is their primary objective. So the Vedas themselves, if the primary objective of the Vedas is an explanation of the three modes of material nature, an understanding of that, then you could logically conclude that, well the karma that binds the living entity and the the whole underlying mechanism of the continual cycle of creation the dissolution that happens within everything material i mean everything that we can observe goes through this continual cycle it's it's repeated in every aspect of material nature from our individual bodies to the seasons of the year. This continual we can observe it practically in nature. This cycle of life. And even, I mean, even contemporary you know, the cycle of life. You can even watch cartoons that are tuned into the idea of the, of the cycle of life and have as their background theme, you know, songs that sing of the cycle of life. So it's, it's not unheard of, this continual cycle. So to, to understand that and apply it more universally as to the cycle of universal life, if that cycle of life is applicable through the seasons of the years, through the, the various plant life that we observe, through, we notice in every species of life, this evolution from, from birth all the way to death can, is repeated. In every. We don't see a species that falls outside of that cycle. It's there in every, everything that we observe. So to, to take and infer that that could also be applicable to the universal manifestation itself, we even see that the modern scientific community kind of accepts that. They say the Earth will someday burn itself out. And they observe the stars in the sky with their with their telescopes and they say, and the universes are coming into being and we can we can look at them coming in and going out so even the universes are created and destroyed and there's black holes out there that suck up universes when they're you know uh to finish them off in a void in a nothingness that we don't really know how it works but we can see it working you know how they how they arrive at these conclusions is based on what their preconceived notions based on their experience of a cycling in nature that they're fully aware of Experiencing. so they so they so they apply it to to even their science of of you know the universal manifestation So along comes so they extrapolate that and they understand well the universes look, even in the in the old scriptures they've come to this even the even the, the yogis they've come to this conclusion that the universes themselves go through cycles. So it's a natural, natural phenomena that happens automatically no. Jiva says, no, not really. It happens that way because Krishna personally wants to perpetuate the opportunity of his devotees. That's Jiva's conclusion. So, Jiva continues here to fortify uh, the point that's he's this this Anucheta primarily is dealing with the conclusion arrived at by Sridhar Swami. Now, in this part of the Krishna Sandarbha, we're seeing a repeated reference to the Bhagavat commentary of Sridhar Swami in these various verses that Jiva has used as part of that fourfold aspect of the army of the Parivasa Sutra. And we'll see that more as we go on. Sridhar Swami said this, Sridhar Swami Concludes that this could only mean the Parivas Sutra. So we can understand how significant this commentary, Bhagavat commentary of Sridhar Swami was to the Goswamis and Jiva Goswami in particular. Yes. So you're, so you're saying that but identified the Parivasa Sutra? Yes. That's what Jiva's saying he's doing. Oh, wow! And he's going to do that again. Uh-huh. So he's done it right here. Okay. He said he's taken Sridhar Swami's commentary on this verse uh-huh. and saying it's pointing to Bhagavan Sri Krishna uh-huh. as Swayam Bhagavan. Uh-huh. Now it's going to, that's going to come up repeatedly as we go forward in the next few Anuchetas in the verses that Jiva pulls from the Bhagavat Purana. So did he identify the Parivasa Sutra itself, or did he just resonate with Jiva's finding, do you think? You, you can arrive at your own conclusion. All right. We'll read here. And okay. he said it, and then is using that in support of the Parivasa Right. Way before Jiva. Yes, yes. He, said it. he believed it. That was... That's Jiva's interpretation of... He didn't say this uh, is the Parivasa Okay. But Jiva is saying, "What else could he be speaking of?" Uh huh. I see. Yeah. Now I think we'll find there are some times when he actually refers to it. But let's oh. Oh, let's right. not yeah, let's I just read it. I can't sure. remember specifically. Yeah, I'm just trying to. Get right. That. No, it's a good point. All right. So now we quote, quote we quote further evidence from the eleventh canto where the devas are speaking. The Purusha, who has unfailing prowess acquired his creative power from you. In conjunction with Maya, through Maya's instrumentality, he upholds Mahat, the first evolute, which is like the womb of the cosmos. So again, we're seeing this evolution of the theology that's coming about through Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Because if we go back in our disciplic succession to Madhvacharya, Madhvacharya does not distinguish between the innate spiritual characteristics of the different manifestations of the Supreme Lord. He doesn't. He doesn't make such a distinction. This distinction of a chinta, beta, beta, tattva, that the Lord's various manifestations are simultaneously one, but they're also different. They're all God, but they're not all the same, an equivalent manifestation of the Lord. So he says they're simultaneously one. He says he does not make that distinction. There are a few things that Madhvacharya said that that certainly the Gaudiyas under the toolage of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu going forward in time. And of course here we have Sridhar Swami's commentary and we can see he's already arrived at what we would consider a deeper understanding and of course his commentary was prior to Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu. Swamipada also comments, Having attained power from you, the Purusha, in conjunction with Maya, upholds Mahat. In, in what manner is Mahat upheld? Like the womb of the cosmos. So at least from Jiva's viewpoint, he, Jiva Goswami is seeing in Srinara Swami's commentary certainly this understanding of Krishna's to Bhagavan swayam he's seeing that because the distinction is being made between Krishna and the Purusha avatars in Sridhar Swami's comments that's the significance. Swami's exact comments in his commentary were with the intent, of praying for the supreme fruit in the form of love for Shri Krishna, Bhishma first offers up his own deeds in this verse. The greatest means that entity in reference to whom all greatness vanishes. In fact, this whole section of the Anucheta is just Swami's commentary. Sometimes He accepts Prakriti for the sake of cosmic play. So, Bhishma, what's the quality of Bhishma? He's one of the Mahajans. What is the nature of those Mahajans? That they're fully conversant with the truth regarding Bhagavan or Bhagavad Dharma. That is their characteristic. A couple interesting things from the commentary here. Bhishma was on the bed of arrows for 52 days. He did not eat during that time. He was simply waiting for the appropriate time to leave his body. The the battle had ended and Krishna and his associates visited Bhishma every day. Every day. And even at the very end, when Bishwa was ready to leave, he was so powerful that he could talk lucidly with and answer the inquiry of Yudhisthira Maharaj. So he wasn't affected at all. He was that advanced. So he is not only advanced as, uh, as a fighter, what is the term, Maharati, as a renunciant, uh, he was celibate, through his life and the power that he uh, exhibited at the end of his life. So the Purusha obtains his creative power from Krishna. So these Mahajans, I thought we would just go over their significance since Bhisma is one of them. Swayambur, Narda, Sambhu. Dear my dear servants, Lord Brahma, Narada, Shiva, the four Kumars, Lord Kapila, Swayambhuva Manu, Prahlad Maharaj, Janaka Maharaj, Bhishma, Bali Maharaj, Sukadeva Goswami, and I, myself, know Bhagavat Dharma, which is confidential, pure, and difficult to comprehend. Knowing this, one attains immortality. So the verse is spoken by Yamaraj. I'll read Vishwanath's commentary here. If no one knows Dharma, then what is the proof of its its existence? We know Dharma, but have not clearly indicated this in the Smriti Shastras we have written. Why? It is secret. Because of being the supreme truth, it is established, but it is a, in a covered way. It is explained in the ninth chapter of Gita, and later with Sarva Guyatam Bhuyam, Srinu Me. Hear from me the most secret knowledge. This Dharma is beyond the gunas. It is difficult to understand because it is not to be mentioned. In the Smriti Shastras dealing with the gunas, and because it is difficult to understand by a mind contaminated with the faults like interpreting the meaning, Arthavad, committed by people following karma. The karma mark, of course. So let's go to the 18th chapter of the Gita. What's Vishwanath referring to? What is this secret of all secrets? So, here again, my supreme instruction, the foremost of all secrets, because you are extremely dear to me, I should disclose this beneficial teaching to you. Sarva Guyatamam Bhujam Me Paramam vacha. So that's the 64th verse of the Bhagavad Gita's 18th chapter. And the secret is located in the 65th verse, which is the most secret of the secret like there's so this verse manmana bhava mad bakdo mam namash karu uh, and the real secret is prati priyo sime fix your mind on me become my devotee worship me and bow down to me by doing so you will come to me I promise this to you truly because you are dear to me that's the, that's the. what Would you say was it? that's the real, the real secret? Is that, Pranidasya. Yes, that Krishna oh. loves us. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the real secret. Uh-huh. It's not the other earlier in the yeah. No, earlier there were other secrets, but mm-hmm. the secret of all secrets comes here when Krishna reveals to Arjuna, really, I love you. Yeah, but I like that. You know. That's the that's the secret of the secret that Krishna reveals to Arjuna. So thirty eighth Anocheda. Krishna is the original supreme person. As such, Sri Sukha proclaims Krishna eternal Krishna's eternal personhood Adi Purushatvam and also his support, superiority over all others. And then a quote from the 11th canto. I bow down to the original pers- person, Aja Purusha, named Sri Krishna, who is supreme above all. Rishabha. So this is Sukha speaking here in the 11th canto. And Jiva says in the Anocheta, since it is well known that the name Krishna belongs specifically to Him, other forms or God of God are thereby excluded. He's saying this this verse spoken by uh, Sukha can only be referring to what's well, Krishna and, and Krishna is the only form of the Supreme Lord that has the name Krishna. By offering obeisances to Krishna, Sri Suka indicates the eternal self-establishment of his form. Then he fortifies that, understanding from Sukha's statement from the 11th canto, by saying, Swami Pod also comments in this regard. So again he goes back to Sridhar Swami and says, I bow down to the embodiment of supreme bliss in the form of the son of Nanda Maharaj. Now, don't contemporaries of. don't people accept Sridhar Mar- Swami as a uh, personalist? Isn't that like the general understanding of his commentary? It depends on who you ask. If well, you were in, to ask a Gaudiya. But the impersonalists don't. I mean, don't the, they? the impersonalists also see his commentary as well, as supporting a Dwaitavad. Yes. Yeah. That's why Jiva Goswami, at the beginning of his Sindharma, says, I will right. use the commentary of Sridhar Swami right. in my presentation, but only those comments parts of his commentary wherein his commentary coincides with our understanding. I'm not going to present his commentary here where he's and in Jeevas Goswami's viewpoint, Shridhar Swami's intra-injection of Advaita Vod in his commentary is simply to capture right the interest of that audience, which is already inclined towards in that understanding of the supreme. We would call it impersonalism. They're already inclined towards that. So he reinforces that, but in the reinforcement, when somebody reinforces your feelings then you're more inclined to read them. If you start reading a book and everything in it is against what you believe in, then you're not going to go very far in that literature. You're not you know, but if the if the author is like reinforcing, you know, what your heart's felt you know, position is in regarding in regards to a subject matter, then you're gonna to continue to read. You're gonna say, Yeah, this guy's on my side. course now they use that as, as a political a, a mechanism of political warfare you know uh, propaganda it's you know they could there's they've become so expert in their quote quote psychology that they they use human psychology excel, itself to capture the mindset of people and and use that mindset based on their overall propensities to turn them, either they're soft, they can distinguish from what the way they act through social media they have this whole system where they can determine how people think. So if you're like in the middle like you haven't made up your mind yet, they know that by what, you, what attracts you persuadable. in social media. Persuadable. And then you become, yes, that's one of the words that's used, you become a persuadable, and then you can be moved from one camp to the other camp. And uh, we were watching something, a documentary or something to this extent, in regards to the last election, and the way that this actually is a tactic. But even in that, there's also what they we call what we would call reverse psychology. So that is where you you may have one viewpoint, but they will they'll use that as a tool to convince you otherwise. It's above my comprehension, but we can see how that can be there, so we should not discount the ability of of the acharyas to uh, use all these means uh, to the advantage of uh, our spiritual upliftment. I mean, they will go quite a quite far out on a limb from the ontological reality of a Sampradaya's basic preaching to to capture uh, a student and then gradually, gradually reel them in to a more well-balanced understanding. Uh, Expert well, Krishna also says he's very expert at this cheating process. <laughs> of the cheats, he's got that down also. So it's the best cheat, the best thief. 39th Shri Shijiva's analysis supported by Sridhar Swami. In this way, Jiva writes, we have conjectured in the discussion beginning From verse 131 onward, what we have conjectured in the discussion beginning with verse 131 onward has been further fortified by Sridhar Swami's concurrence of opinion. Here again we show his concurrence by the hermeneutic indicator known as repetition, abhasa, abhyasa, I'm sorry as in his comment on the verse spoken by Shri Sukha. After hearing that Jarasandha was undefeated, King Yudhisthira became thoughtful as to the means of his defeat. Then the original Hari, Krishna, described the plan that had previously been proposed by Uddhava. Swami comments, The word original, adya. To describe Hari means Sri Krishna. <coughs> so now we go back to this verse 131, and we find this is the beginning of the third chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam, wherein this whole third chapter is leading up step by step to the Paribhas Sutra. So in the commentary, <coughs> In Anocheta 1, speaking about the first Anocheta in this Sundarbha, Jiva Goswami indicated a discussion about the avatars leading up to the conclusion that Sri Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan, the original source. He begins by citing verse 131, and then the 131 is read. In the beginning, prior to the cosmic manifestation, the Supreme Personal Absolute, Bhagavan, intending to evolve the cosmos, manifested the form of the Purusha, who was enfolded within him along with the Tattvas beginning with Mahat, and endowed with the sixteen evolutionary principles necessary for creation. Jiva comments that the word Bhagavan in this verse refers to Sankarshan, In Arucheta 28, however, while discussing verse 1328, which is the Parivasa Sutra, the verse that contains the Parivasa Sutra, in Arucheta 28, while discussing the 28th verse, he comes to the conclusion that Sri Krishna alone is Swayam Bhagavan and no one else. So, we know there are certain manifestations of the Supreme Lord who are referred to as Bhagavan. Bhagavan means... Well, a manifestation of the Lord that has all the the powers. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation. Swayam Bhagavan means, well, he's the supreme amongst all those Bhagavans. And no one else. That's the conclusion. This view is repeatedly accepted by Sridhar Swami. So this is Jiva's conclusion. Sridhar Swami repeatedly shows that the supreme manifestation of the Lord is Krishna, as shown in his comments cited in Anuchedas 35 and 37. Here again, Jiva Goswami cites Sridhar Swami's concurrence of view while referring to his comment on the principal verse of this Anuchedha. Repetition of view, a bhyasa, is one of the six hermeneutic indicators by which an author's intention can be understood. Thus, Jiva Goswami's conclusion that Krishna alone is Swayam Bhagavan is reinforced by Shridhar Swami's concurrence of view dis- discerned through repetition. So throughout Shridhar Swami's Bhagavat commentary, The way he speaks of Krishna and the way he comments on various verses spoken in relationship to the personal form of the Lord always points to Krishna as being the supreme manifestation, the personal manifestation. Now, you you had brought up the point, well, some would say that Sridhar Swami's prime emphasis was on the Advaitin viewpoint in his commentary. And there are repeated references to the Advaitin commentary where one would say the uh, Abhashya, the repetition of that, is really Sridhar's true viewpoint. So again, We we take shelter of our lineage. We take shelter of our acharyas in our lineage, and their viewpoints above all others. That doesn't mean that we're not willing to entertain other viewpoints, and even accept that others can arrive at a different conclusion from their viewpoint. That's that's the basis upon which uh, the Gaudiya Sampradaya, the Brahma Madva, Gaudiya Sampradaya, is able to truly enter into worthwhile discourse to advance the idea of the Parivasa Sutra that Krishna is the supreme manifestation and even we find in Sri Chaitanya Mahabrabhu uh, and, and it's interesting I'm reading that section of the Chaitanya Charitamrita now uh, Prabhupada's purports in the in that section where the discussion between Sri Chaitanya and uh, uh, Nanda Saraswati in the you know that whole group of, of mayavad philosophers. It's interesting. It's not that Sri Chaitanya was confrontational. He said, "Yes, I understand, and yeah, you know, okay, maybe I should study the Vedas. I have a little knowledge. My guru said I wasn't real smart, but I may have a little knowledge." Uh, he told me, but primarily I should just chant this mantra. Then he introduces them to the mantra and immediately by that introduction they're initiated by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And then he says, and I can speak a little bit about Vedanta Sutra. So he proceeds to say, well, the Vedanta Sutra, we don't really want to interpret it. Let's just take it at face value. Let's see what it really says itself. Really, Sankaracharya didn't do the the best of, of service to the intent of the Vedanta Sutra by screwing these other meanings out of it. He, he didn't do the best work. Let, let, let me tell you what I think about the Vedanta Sutra. And then he you know, he goes off into his explanation to these Mayavads about this is Vedanta Sutra. This is what really Srila Vyasadeva was trying to convey. That's our that's that's the approach that that we take. As long as there is some little avenue, then the outreach, the the gracious dispensation that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu extended to us in our sampradaya, we try to also extend. There is you know, Gosvami There is this outreach. And uh, if you can't do it well, then Bhajananati's there for you. That's okay, too. It's no great loss. So, we can see Jiva Goswami, he's seeing in Sridhar's commentaries a repetition of this underlying theme of Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Thank you so much for your association.